0: Hello there, listener, and welcome to Fishnets and Philosophy. I am your host, Mix Bell and I hope you'll join me on this journey of connection as we embark towards conversations that will be deep, meaningful, and insightful. So if that sounds like something you would enjoy... And sit back, put your headphones in, and let's get philosophical. Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host Mix Bell Morgan, and I am joined by the wonderful Roisin, who is the host of the Ten Year Garden podcast. So, Roisin, if you could just like introduce yourself, what are your pronouns? How do you identify, and just kind of say a bit about what started you to create your own podcast?
1: Absolutely. First of all, I want to say for those of you who can't see because this is an audio (laughs) forum Belle has like the most phenomenal sunset makeup going on right now it's so gorgeous (laughs) i've like just come in from gardening so i feel very like i'm like wow well done (laughs) we're starting off in style um i'm roisin my pronouns are she and her so i i identify as like i'm a cisgendered woman but i always say so like bisexual is my Sexual orientation and then queer is my political orientation. Um, and obviously, there is a Venn diagram between the two. And what, I, okay, how I started off doing my podcast is. I did a master's in gender studies and international relations in my master's class. There was an, a phenomenal woman called Desiree. And I would always just like pop off in class constantly. And Desiree would be like, you need a podcast. Like, seriously, you, like you need like a forum for this. And I would be like, oh, I don't know about that. And then my dad over lockdown, because I moved home for the pandemic, he was like, I think maybe looking back on this now, I'm like, he was just tired <laughs> listening to me talk about these things. But he was like, I think you should do a podcast. Like, I think it would be really good for you. And then I bought a book called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. And actually, funnily enough, right before this uh, podcast recording, I was like out gardening, listening to her in another podcast talk about kind of like sexual desire and pleasure and blah, 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 blah. And she has an incredible book, like truly, if you haven't read it, if anyone listening hasn't read it, I'd highly recommend it. She's just come out with a revised and updated edition. It like is the best I've read. I like read prolifically and I read prolifically books as well um because they're fascinating they're, sex is fascinating
0: <laughs> completely agree yeah,
1: yeah. Even if, like you're not having it I think mm. I've become like more analytically interested in sex in the past year because like I'm immunocompromised so I haven't really had to be very mm. careful over the past year so I'm not having any sex and yet like my consumption of like sex books and shows about like sex education <laughs> like that has gone through the roof I'm like when I get out on in the field i oh, know all the theory and um, but yeah basically read this book absolutely loved it and I for my dissertation for my master's I interviewed loads of people and I found that so rewarding and I thought this is a really good medium to contact people that I find really interesting and like to ask them questions basically like be kind of nosy and like talk about issues that I think are really important and like fascinating
0: Oh, I love that and I feel it's almost like a kindred spirit type thing isn't that's yes. the exact kind of reason that I like I've been an avid podcast listener for years and I was always mm-hmm. kind of like you know oh I just love talking to new people as a general thing like conversations are just something I love and I kind of similar enough in the humanities I did philosophy as is the name of Amazing. my podcast it's for my a good
1: podcast name
0: thank you um, I did <laughs> thank you because I love to wear fishnets and yes, I, I I'm just naturally Instagram. philosophical <laughs> 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 and yes there's a lot of fishnets on my Instagram that's definitely <laughs> um but yeah I just like I have that avid curiosity in getting to know people like what makes them tick so yeah very similar like things that I'm passionate about that I want to talk about so I was just like I should probably do the same and start a podcast and get to know other people that I might not be able to naturally normally talk to. So yeah, I think feel very Absolutely. kindred spirit. And I like how for you, as you're saying with Emily Nagoski's book, "Come As You Are, which I haven't actually read yet, I'll add that to my list of books that I need mm-hmm. to read. Because there's always like the books that like, you want to read for pleasure. And then there's the books yeah. that you need to read. So I've I got two different mean. lists. <laughs> so I'll add that to the need to read list. And um, but I like how you kind of Almost like the way you're phrasing it is that it was almost like, I guess, an awakening for you in that sense, because I had the same experience on the kind of similar enough, but kind of slightly flip side, but... The book Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan have you oh heard
1: my of... oh my god oh my god let me, tell you, a story, <laughs> yes, let me tell you a story okay so 2019 I had moved from I left I was living in New York for like over two years I moved back to Ireland at the kind of end of December 2018 and then I like really had a very difficult time just because like I had been taking loads of drugs and drinking and I was like I've made the decision like I didn't want to take drugs anymore for me that was like kind of of i was taking in particular loads of cocaine and i was like as a feminist i find it very difficult to reconcile the fact that i'm taking loads of cocaine and i know 100 that cocaine is not ethical and that the people who it affects the most are Women in South and Central American countries. So mm. I was like, how do I level these two things up? And eventually, it got to the point where I was like, okay, I can't, <laughs> I can't level these two things up <laughs> anymore. Anyway, so then I had six months where I was saving for my masters, and I was like living at home for the first time in like literally years because I'd like moved out when I was nineteen. So I was like twenty six, living at home, very you know culture shock, la la la, working mm-hmm. in the HSE in a fake job, like not doing any work. And And I also during that period of time as well, I was like, I'm just going to take six months off dating because I in New York had had a lot of fun, but it Mm -hmm. was a lot of fun that also had like definitely kind of an edge of like danger and Mm -hmm. mayhem to it that like, Eventually got to the point where I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm enjoying this as much anymore, you know. Mm. But anyway, basically, fast forward, la la la, May comes around. <laughs> I go to visit my friend in London, and I've been like saving for this trip, planning for this trip. I've got all like my hoochie London clothes with me. I'm very excited for this. I like get off the plane, and I ask this guy in the queue. I'm like, oh, do you, um, do you know which way the train is going? Anyway, we end up having like a real connection. He's very cute. He's like, oh, I'm. Just just kind of surf it like he's like i'm gonna do a devil course and then i'm gonna go travel around like hitchhike around lisbon he like grew up on like a natural farm i was like very into this okay this is a (laughs) nice start to this trip and we're sitting beside each other on the train, like very like up close, like let you know, like legs, you know, like very like touchy, prepared, mm-hmm. la, la la And then he is like, Have you read the book, Sex at Dawn? And I was like, No. And he's like, changed my life. Like it really helped me like realize that I was very jealous and possessive and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, Oh, okay, very enlightened as well. This is all going a great way. And then he was telling me about something he was doing, like a course he had done. That summer or this mm. summer before, and he was like, "You should do it too." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, like, what are, what are the details? And he was like, "Oh, blah blah blah." It's for people age eighteen to twenty three, and I was like. Oh, well, I'm not 23. Like, I'm I'm 26. And he was like, You're 26? And I was like, What age are you? And he was like, Oh, what age am I? And I was like, Yeah, what age are you? And he was like, I'm 19. And I was like, Oh okay. I was like, Well, well, I was like, even 20 would have mean okay. But I was like, 19, I think And he was like, I don't have finished my leaving cert. And I was like, that doesn't.
0: <laughs> that doesn't count for life experience. That's... <laughs> I,
1: was like, I guess, yeah, that's good that you're out of school. And then, like, literally, it was like as if like, imagine that I don't know, like you're wearing like an unbuttoned shirt, and then you like look back over, and the shirt is just like buttoned like right up to your neck. It was just like such a different <laughs> energy from then. And like mm-hmm. at the end, I was like, goodbye, look after yourself. <laughs> See you later See you never um, But yeah So that was my introduction To Sex at Dawn But I've never read The book itself That's just like The, the greatest Like that's just the memory That's like seared into Yeah, Yeah
0: like, And that's definitely I could understand Why that's almost A slightly Somewhat traumatic In the sense yeah. experience That's going to put me off Reading this book <laughs> This type of Negative experience so and- it was,
1: and, But like He was so nice Part of what Wooed me initially Was like He gave me He was from an apple Like he lived in an apple farm That was where his parents lived as i found out later (laughs) like gave me an apple from the apple farm. so it was like very i was like oh my god this is such a great start to my holiday and then it was very like rain it back in honey (laughs) the time
0: oh yeah um yeah, that's definitely a very unique um, introduction, I guess, to the existence of that book. Um, well, what was
1: the awakening in you? What was it about? Yeah, you? like when it was resonated with. You? Well, what resonated
0: with me, like for people who haven't heard of the book or don't know what the book is, essentially, it's a book that kind of goes into the history of basically how monogamy is a social construct and isn't actually kind of necessarily natural to humans in the sense that it's the hypothesis behind the book is that monogamy wasn't a thing until basically agriculture and the idea of land ownership came into existence because once there was land ownership you needed to make sure that your offspring were going to inherit the land so then you had to know who your offspring were. So that's kind of where the idea of monogamy and particularly nuclear family and stuff like that kind of originated. Like that's the hypothesis. And I think it's very sound. (laughs) Um, But I think what resonated and awoke something in me was that I, in any of like, you know, monogamous relationships that I was in, I was always like, you know, I'm in this relationship and would respect the relationship, but I'd always kind of feel almost like a shame or a guilt for the fact that I was attracted to other people outside of my relationship. Cause I was like, I'm in this relationship. I shouldn't have this type of attraction. And then it was like the book kind of was like, well, we're not actually supposed to be monogamous. <laughs> and then I was like, huh, that explains a lot. So yeah, once I read the book, it was kind of like, light bulb moment and i was like right i realized monogamy isn't for me and the thing is like when it comes to monogamy and ethical non-monogamy polyamory all the different ways of doing relationships monogamy is for some people like it is Mm -hmm. the right thing for like so there's some people in the polyamorous community which i'm a part of which are kind of like the ardent like polyamory is the only righteous way (laughs) and people who do monogamy are wrong and like they're like you know beating (laughs) it beating like monogamy out of society and I'm just like yeah like I agree with beating toxic monogamy out of society but monogamy itself yeah if if that's what. You know, lights people's candles <laughs> for lack of a different expression mm-hmm. <laughs> then like yeah it. it's all for them so and um, yeah so that's kind of why it was an awakening for me and to jump into kind of like almost in a way given that your experience of the introduction to that book was like a mini <laughs> traumatic experience and <laughs> um, one of the first kind of questions I had and it's something mm-hmm. that I really love about what you do with your podcast mm-hmm. is kind of like you're very much coming from this stance that we can't talk about sex or sexuality Mm. without talking about trauma and I just want if you could like kind of like elaborate a bit more on why that is your stance like why you're coming from that stance.
1: Absolutely absolutely that's such a great question Belle. Um, So I always think about it like this like there's a couple of different kind of like key figures in like the I guess sexuality industry who I Like, really, really like. So, there's an educator, a sex educator, she's called Shadine Francis. And her tagline is Everyone wants to learn how to fuck let me remind you how to feel and and I love that like that really kind of sums up I to a certain degree my my own approach to it so when I okay so this is kind of going to be a bit of a winding story but I'll I'll keep it on track I'm in a really chatty mood today so (laughs) I'll try and keep it on on track um but basically I I personally had a very have had historically a very fraught relationship with sex I come from a family that was very very sex sex positive my parents are very sex positive particularly my mom and so growing up there would have been a lot of emphasis that sex was something that was like kind of good and healthy and was good for your relationship and a really vital part of a successful relationship and so sex always felt like this unachievable thing that was a goal that I couldn't achieve but then kind of on the flip side of that we never would have had a conversation around boundaries or Mm -hmm. you know um like contraception or pleasure or you know masturbation or anything like that and like I remember I think maybe when I was like 19 or 20 my mom like signed me up for like I think maybe like a tantric like newsletter. (laughs) I think she was like she really was like so encouraging being very like you need to like she was like I don't believe I was like I just don't like sex that's just who I am and she was like I don't believe that <laughs> like I think that you could like sex if you you know if you found the thing that was you, the, the thing that you liked basically so mm. that was a really positive role model to have in my life but then as a juxtaposition to that I so both of my parents are atheists but my grandmother was extremely religious and she, mm. my parents had had us really young so my granny basically wanted you know she'd helped a lot so we were raised in the church that she was a part of and that is a it was a fundamentalist church so it had a very 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 hard line on sexuality and on sexual orientation and like basically being a woman you were fucked anyway because you were like very much a second class Mm -hmm. citizen like it was like oh sorry poor you've really pulled the short straw there but then (laughs) being a queer woman Awful! You're burning in hell. Like I had such a strong emotional reaction to Lil naz's recent video. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> yes, oh, those my- boots. Like the <laughs> <Yes>. whole thing. Yes, <laughs> it's
0: just. Yeah, that, that music video is just like, oh. it was just like, oh my God. It was like, I don't know, it was just, yes. That all was of an the yes. awakening. Yes. It was just, <laughs> like, oh, oh my God, all of the yes. Like, it was just like, it was fantastic. It was just, I was yes, like, please.
1: I did not know I needed to see <laughs> a lap dance on the devil. but Yeah, I did. it just, exactly.
0: It so was kind of really. like, oh, really? Wow, this really. Uh, awoke a lot of things
1: <laughs> exactly so I felt very much like I really had such a it was such a long process or like a long journey to me being able to admit to myself that I wasn't straight because like truly there was just so much like talk about toxic monog- monogamy it was it was just like a very 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 ardently sex negative environment and then i think at the world at large particularly talking about the irish context ireland Hmm. is extremely sex negative it's an extremely sex negative country the only time we hear about sex in the public forum is either through the lens of the theocracy so like Magdalene laundries or so on and so forth or else through our very high profile rape cases and often Hmm. i think when we're seeing these high profile rape cases it never ends well for the survivor. You know, there tends to be very disturbing and disquieting outpouring of support for the, you know, the assailant and and things like that. So that's not a positive environment to grow up in. And when I read Emily Nagoski's book, she was basically talking about how it's, you know, to a certain degree, it's a scam that we're told that after all, that after we've all grown up in this incredibly Sex negative environment that we're then supposed to just turn around and say, like, oh yeah, fuck, like, I love sex, you know, like, I'm so mm-hmm. good at it and I have no hang ups about it. And I was saying to my mom, like, she, she felt no sexual shame, but she would shame other people's sexuality. And I was like, I think sex negativity, the way that it, I think it roots down in your psyche is that if you, you either kind of come from it from one way or another. I mean, no, that's Mm -hmm. an oversimplification, but for the purpose of this conversation. (laughs) So either you think that the sex you're having is wrong and you feel terrible about it, or you think that the sex you're having is the right sex and the sex Uh everyone else is having is the wrong kind of sex. And we can see that dynamic play out, you know, in lots of different kind of forums. But yeah, basically, when I read Emily Nagoski's, book there was like a whole extended metaphor about a garden which I'm not going to get into now because it's just too long <laughs> we just had to go into it too much it really gave me pause for thought because I was like oh yeah of course like say someone I had a, I had a really bad eating disorder in like my teens and then into my early 20s so I was like of course like the fact that I wasn't eating for years for like seven years of course that would affect how i wanted to have sex of course the fact (laughs) that i was like sexually traumatized would affect how i wanted to have sex of course the fact that i'd spent 16 years of my life going to a church where literally an aging angry spanish man told me (laughs) that like if you were queer you were going to burn in hell and if you were a woman you were impure so you weren't allowed on the altar is going to have an impact on how you conceptualize yourself as a sexual person. And it's not like, I think about this a lot in terms of pleasure. It's like, how are we supposed to have sexual pleasure, right? If we deny ourselves pleasure in every other arena of our life. And I think that's (laughs) like- truly it, it's just such a scam and as soon as I heard that I like as soon as I read her book I was like oh my god I just need to like basically spread the word of the gospel here <laughs> like, <laughs> I need to tell people like it's not your fault you know like as somebody, mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of kind of discourse around this during the pandemic where people are like what's wrong with me like I don't really want to have sex anymore and I'm like honey we're in a global pandemic
0: <laughs> exactly like <laughs> we're literally trying to survive and <laughs> literally like every like our body is literally barely coping so of course it makes sense that things that you might have been normal beforehand you're gonna have a little bit of a different like reaction to now exactly. like oh exactly so but um yeah to, go ahead sorry,
1: to, to sum it up just to kind of wrap that up the podcast i was listening to just there i mean just go ski described it as with sex the message that we're receiving particularly if you are not a cis het man is you if you want to have sex you are a filthy whore that no one loves but if you if you aren't really good at sex no one will ever love you and it's how to reconcile those two things that we're you know sex is bad because it's impure and it's sinful and it's base and this kind of harks back to like the renaissance and uh, Descartes and Cartesianism and stuff like that, you know, man over, man over woman mm. and body over mind, like mind over body, and so on, and so forth. But then, equally now, with kind of like social media and media in general, it's like if you don't know how to squirt, say for example, you're nothing, you're trash. You know, <laughs> like there's no way of winning this. Like the game is rigged.
0: Oh yes, <laughs> so much yes to all of <laughs> that. It's just. It's so much to unpack, but it's just I really like the one thing that you kind of said there about you were listening to the podcast that Emily was on, where it kind of said like it's the game is almost rigged in the sense that you can't be sexual, but if you aren't good at sex, then you're also like a failure. And it's this Absolutely. like kind of like whole, and you're right, it's like literally the message that anyone that is not a cishet man receives. And it's basically... This message, like it's almost like the Madonna horror complex, as in that's mm, so, what a straight um, cis man wants. They want the, like for you know, lack of a better term, like they want the sexually liberated woman. They want the, in quotation marks, whore. I'm not a sex worker, so I can't mm-hmm. really use that. But and yeah. um, they want that woman that knows sex that is really sexy that does all the kinky sex, the fun sex. But they also want the virgin, <laughs> the one that hasn't been, like tainted oh I like, hate that I m- logic by anyone else like just the concept of virginity itself is just complete balderdash like as oh yeah oh, nice <laughs> this- he's a
1: balderdash <laughs> I love that
0: <laughs> thank you it's a word that I like to use um, and <laughs> but yeah it's just the messages that society pushes out around sex and who gets to have sex and the type of sex you're supposed to be having like it's no wonder that Even ignoring the fact that in Ireland particularly, but kind of anywhere really that the Christian Catholicism kind of faith has taken root, but particularly in Ireland, like even ignoring the fact that the church has caused so much shame, Mm. just the general social messages around sex. Can lead to so much shame. Like, it's like, it's any, is it any wonder that it's so hard to unpack everything when you're trying to like become a more, I guess, sexually aware person, aware of your own sexuality? And I think there's another almost like issue. And I think you kind of touched on it earlier as well about like, you know, sex positivity and sex negativity. And mm-hmm. I listened to your mini episode where you kind of talked about the two different terms and how you're kind of like more in the middle of sex neutral. And I think the way, everything in society everything comes down to binary systems which is just so frustrating because it makes it almost impossible to have nuance so I think that's the problem as in like it's viewed as you're either sex negative or sex positive whereas no that's not the case like you know there's lots of like nuance like so I kind of the way I kind of consider it is that You can be it's sex positive, but not necessarily sex enthusiastic Mm. as in like that's kind of what I would consider it as because I think everyone should aim as in work towards or just have a general approach of being sex positive in the sense that you don't shame other people's sex, whatever it is, as long as consensual. You don't shame the type of sex other people are having like that at its basis it's sex positivity but you don't have to be enthusiastic about that type of sex you're just not going to shame it so that's kind of the way i like the way i like to look at it. Is in you're not being sex negative you are being sex positive you're just not necessarily sex enthusiastic and i think that also allows room for asexual people to be included in the sex positivity mm. movement because not all asexual people like to have sex some do Mm -hmm. some don't but they can still be sex positive in the sense that they're not going to be like you know they're taking a stance of we won't shame other people's sex just because I'm not enthusiastic about it I'm not going to shame someone else for having it and I think that's kind of where an area that we should kind of aim towards like I think we can get there by kind of removing this binary structure of there's only positive or negative and everything everything in society comes down to <laughs> binary systems and it's just oh it just makes things so difficult and it's just like that's, that's not cool. how anything works people are <laughs> complex it's fluid and as you yourself as a bisexual woman like you know it's,
1: <laughs> it's complex like
0: exactly but so that's the thing like the binary system it's you're either straight or gay or lesbian you know gay lesbian and it's just like Well, no, I can be both. Like the amount of bi erasure or pan erasure that happens both within the straight and queer communities is such a (laughs) headwrecker. It's just, and I think... And I want to know, like, if like maybe you kind of you kind of had similar experiences, like with your bisexuality. But like for me, I'm kind of like thankful, and maybe it's because I was raised as a cishet man, so mm-hmm. I guess I didn't really receive when I was being raised those type of messages around sex. But I never really had shame attached to sex or sexuality until I started to realize that I was bisexual and okay, then once I kind of like once I kind of approached my bisexuality that's when I was shamed as in if I'd mentioned it it would be oh that's just a phase or you're just confused or the one that I got the most and now it's almost double because I'm bisexual and polyamorous but it was like the whole thing of oh that just means you're more likely to cheat and it's like what oh,
1: I've yes. never got that I and like I think each of us ha- like get our own variation mm. of it do you know and like I think that it's so like, yeah, sorry, just to go back on my point, to talk about sex, I think, and how, you know, we move through the world, right? It's impossible to extract that and kind of almost in way, unpick it from gender. So Mm -hmm. like, even as say, like a cisgendered woman even though it's been difficult and I've had a lot of like overwhelmingly negative messages towards it right there is still a level of I guess like um maybe validity in the sex that I am having whereas to Mm be someone who is not cisgendered there is a question I think there's much more of a question and I also think that there's much more of a kind of like insidious undermining of the sex that they're ha- like there's definitely a lot of mm. public interest in the sex that people who are not cisgender are having in a way that is not for those like those communities it's not for their benefit you know what mm. I mean like yes. you don't like it's definitely stems from I think the same kind of place that like you know stems from like uh when when women are on their wedding night you hold up that sheet to see if you know if if there's blood on it to to make sure she's a virgin it's that kind of like prove it you know like we it's really i think tapping into like kind of a very dark part of humanity Mm -hmm. and like definitely speaking of like bisexuality if you are like someone who is you know non-binary and bisexual or trans and bisexual like i have very mixed feelings about contrapoints but i will Mm -hmm. say that that she um In one of her videos, she talked about that she was a lesbian and about how that was just so difficult for her because she was like basically men having like a cis male partner kind of proves to the world that I am a woman to a certain degree and I'm already kind of on the fringes and now to be a a, you know a trans lesbian really pushes me out onto the fringes even more and like just how she kind of felt like she was you know bringing up the drawbridge basically (laughs) of Mm -hmm. like you know kind of normality and how that triggered so much shame in her so I think it's I think it's a really interesting point that you raise Belle where it's like it's funny the things that trigger shame in us and it's like oh obviously I internalize that messaging you know or this is something that is more you know sensitive to me than other things you know what I mean because like I've never felt a lot of shame around say talking about sex even Mm -hmm. though a lot of people I know have felt shame like I've always been quite open about it Um, and even though a lot of people I know have a lot of shame around it whereas there are other things so like I never felt shame around having sex Until I started to have sex that I enjoyed. And then I was literally like it was like I was struck down with shame. (laughs) Like truly, I was struck down with shame.
0: Exactly. Because it's almost like I think that's the messaging that society is giving to women, like you know, is the sense that you're not supposed to enjoy sex. Mm. And it's supposed to be something that's done to you. So if it's the fact that you're enjoying it, that's kind of it could I, that makes sense that it would kind of trigger something, as in Absolutely. because so much of the messaging that is received is that oh, you're, you're not really supposed to enjoy it. Like it's supposed to be it's something a sense that you
1: just <laughs> exactly, <laughs>
0: oh, exactly. And I think like like the reason so much of that messaging still exists, which is just infuriating, but it's because like when you think about the way sex itself was studied, is mm. that the fact that studying women's sexual pleasure didn't even like happen until like probably the late 80s or maybe 70s as far as I'm aware like Mm. it was just something that didn't wasn't even considered that like women couldn't have pleasure so like the way that sex was studied (laughs) it was all from this uh Silver haired old man, cis mm. <laughs> head <Cis-hedged> perspective, <laughs> as in, like, this and is the only right. way. <laughs> Isn't
1: that right? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's our God, <laughs> he's <laughs> everyone, he's the moment. <clears throat> <laughs> no, it's so true. It's so, is so true. Like myself and one of my guests were talking about how, you know, she was like, I didn't even know women could orgasm until I've been having sex for a few years. Like truly sex education fails us. At, I think like every single point in the road, like yeah. if you don't have comprehensive sex education, that is like gender inclusive. And that's also I like I would even go so far as like, you know, to kind of expand on this point of like how it's not just sex it's all connected like how intersect you know intersectionality impacts on that as well so like how say stressors are going to impact on it and making and cultivating an awareness from a really young age that not everyone is coming to the playing field it's not level you know like everyone is bringing their own like you know different nuances and identities and things like that to it and that that if like one of my favorite um kind of points on this is because I often think that like people get really you know they rear away from like identity politics and they're like identity Mm -hmm. politics are so divisive and they're ruining us and I'm like okay first of all we can't have anything without identity politics (laughs) literally (laughs) I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) like without identity politics we're back (laughs) you know that like literally up until this point there's been no identity politics (laughs) that was the issue (laughs) like there was just a certain Kind of man <laughs> um,
0: exactly there was nothing yeah. else that existed <laughs> yeah. but this one particular type of man and that was it <laughs> Just, <And> oh.
1: <laughs> he, he ruled the world um, exactly. <laughs> but I think like the Combahee River Collective which was a ba- a radical black lesbian collective in the 1970s they basically like released this statement that was like so beautiful and they kind of they didn't use the term intersectionality because it hadn't mm-hmm. been coined yet by Kimberlé <sighs> Crenshaw but they talked about how like one of the greatest joys in life is to be accepted for all of your different identities and for people to hold space and hold joy for that and I was like that's so true for someone to be like I take you as you are and I'm I'm asking you like how you want to be supported and I'm I'm here for it is like such a joyous and phenomenal mm-hmm. occasion
0: exactly 100% and I think that kind of links back to what you were saying about the need for a comprehensive sex education in Ireland my experience anyway was that they're wasn't sex ed in the sense that, <laughs> yeah. like, like sex I went to a, exactly like I went to a non-denominational school, like it was a VC school. But even Same. at that, yeah, even at that, the sex ed was taught by guess who? Accord, who are a Catholic organization. So it's oh, uh, yeah, exactly. This religious organization was who taught us our sex ed. So what we were taught was don't have sex. Like that was it. <laughs> abstinence was our sex ed like it wasn't even exactly (laughs) but like the thing is like like sex ed even when you get beyond abstinence sex ed programs that do actually kind of veer into telling you what sex is it just comes from this straight biological essentialist view of Mm -hmm. sex as in sex should only be happening for procreation and this Mm -hmm. is how you do that that's all you get told and one thing it just completely ignores that queer sex happens which yeah exactly like it's just i'm thankful to see that at least in ireland anyway and i think you are somewhat part of it like there are lgbtq organizations going into schools Mm. to at least kind of teach about lgbtq so at least i
1: volunteer for one
0: it's I love so that fun. I love that that's fantastic and that's something that I I myself know that talking about queerness educating people mm-hmm. on queerness is something that I just have a passion for that's what I'm trying to do through my podcast so like that's something I would also look into doing hopefully at some point in the future mm-hmm. um but that's a good sign that at least though that's happening in schools that it's kind of being acknowledged mm-hmm. but even at that it's pro- probably doesn't even happen yet even in sex ed and
1: Oh, yeah. Like, sorry, the organization that I volunteer for, like, it's very strict. Like, we cannot talk about sex. We can talk about identities and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We cannot. They're like, they wouldn't let us into this. They wouldn't let us near the
0: school which is <laughs> like, just like literally. typical of course like,
1: and but... I was like, we have a problem in this country we we have <laughs> mm-hmm. a problem we can see that we have a consent problem we can see it's not even just a consent problem because i actually i I I haven't read the book yet, so I'm not going to go too into this because I'm not fully sure. But Mm -hmm. I read I listened to a really interesting well two really interesting podcasts with a writer called Catherine Angel, who's just written a book called Tomorrow Sex Will Be Good Again. And Mm -hmm. it's about how the conflation between currently between consent and desire and how basically consent has become another thing that people who are marginalized have to do to protect themselves you know it's become basically another burden for people to carry where and instead of critiquing the systems that Mm -hmm. create violence towards people instead it, it comes down to interpersonal choices and I was like oh that's a really interesting you know that's a really interesting um like analysis of consent. And now I haven't read the book yet, so mm. I can't speak t- too much on that. But I definitely think that like Ireland has both a consent problem, but it also has like an intergenerational
0: trauma problem yeah oh 100% um oh like well especially you know the one big example that is very prevalent in the last few years is like again the Magdalene Laundry so one of the biggest examples of intergenerational trauma and especially intergenerational trauma for women in Ireland and but yes like kind of coming back to consent that's another thing that is completely omitted from any form of sex ed Mm. and I think because again it's this biological essentialist conception of what sex is it forgets that or it just doesn't care that emotions feelings they are also a part of the sex we have and consent comes into that the ability to be able to have boundaries and to you know consent to what you want to do and not not want to do and the thing is i hate this logic which again it comes from this kind of like toxic masculinity kind of perspective but that consent isn't sexy. I hate yeah, that. Right. <laughs> exactly. Because it 100% can be and is. And one of the things, I'm not sure if you're familiar with or if you've heard of it, but there's this community business, I'm not really sure. I, I guess community is probably the best like description, but make love, not porn. It's this I design. I saw it on
1: your Instagram page, but I'm not familiar with it other than yeah.
0: that. Um, so basically, Cindy Gallup is this amazing powerhouse of a woman who just dis- dis- started it and she has this ted talk where she explains why she started it which is a really good ted talk but basically the whole idea of it is that you know everything in society like you know we we're in a society everything is social the food we have the like everything is social except sex Mm. Sex is this thing that's supposed to be locked behind closed doors You're not supposed to talk about it It's not supposed to be shared It's this mm. completely private thing And basically the idea of like Make Love Not Porn Is to change that One, because we need to have this What she terms a social sex revolution that's what like that's what she pushes yes and but also it's to basically differentiate effectively the difference between porn and real sex because Mm. so much of what we see is porn and it like Make Love Not Porn, Cindy Gallup, it's not anti porn. It's just Mm. knowing the difference between porn and sex, which I think is what is lacking because porn, good porn, like there is, of course, with any type of industry, there are, of course, bad actors and there is, of course, problems, but that's across the board in any form of industry. But porn itself is not inherently bad. And basically, porn is this, that's what it is. It's entertainment, it's professionals putting on a show and that's what it is and the problem is because we don't have comprehensive sex education the only kind of sex education that you do get is porn
1: and like like
0: because myself like I started watching porn when I was 12 so it's that type of thing where it's like so much of what I saw and what I received regarding sex was through that lens and that media so basically make love not porn is kind of severing and going mm. porn is what it is that's fine it's entertainment mm. but it's not sex this is yes. what sex is and make love not porn is just real people sharing their real sex and a oh great God, that's part so, so nice oh it's, it's the videos are amazing on there like and also I'm someone who submits my own um yeah exactly <laughs> yes because one thing I'm very much an exhibitionist and I like I love that, that for people, you. yeah I like knowing that people are looking at me but also it's makes my own masturbation have an extra level of pleasure to it because it's mm-hmm. like, I know that I'm going to be sharing. It's just great. But <laughs> essentially like with Make Love Not Porn, so much of it is it shows that consent is sexy because mm-hmm. it's all about literally you know you're not performing for the camera it's just capturing real sexual moments so you'll see like you know especially couples or it could be threesomes like where consent and knowing what you're allowed to do like is important you can see the negotiations happen in real time as in can I touch you here like but it's done in that kind of playful sexual way where Mm -hmm. it's fun and sexy because that's missing important Mm -hmm. you don't see the consent off camera you know that they've agreed to what's going to happen and stuff like that but it's not displayed on camera everything just happened so with make love not porn you see everything you see the negotiation part of sex and it can be fun and sexy so yeah and um, that's that why i like think such an
1: important resource to have out there
0: 100 and i think that's something It's the reason why i you know, shout from the rooftop that i'm part of it and i love it and i recommend it to everyone because i do think that I don't think society will get to a place where shame will be removed from sex if we can't socially talk mm-hmm. about the sex we're having. Cause I think and I want to know what you kind of think about this. Cause mm-hmm. like obviously from my perspective, I was raised as a cisgender, you know, man and now I'm a non-binary person. So mm-hmm. like my experiences are gonna probably be different to a cisgender woman's. Mm-hmm. But basically, if you had a problem. Not even a problem, but just a question about like your own sex, as in maybe the sex you had, something didn't go the right way you thought it would, or whatever type of questions you have, you feel like you're the only person who's had that experience. Absolutely. And you feel that because we can't talk about sex, you kind of get into this cycle of beating yourself up and just kind of going, there's something wrong with me. Whereas if we could actually get to this place, there's no shame and you can just socially talk about the sex you're having, you could kind of go to your peers and kind of go, oh, this happened. And then you'd realize that probably someone else had the same experience and you can have that kind of shared social connection. And i think that's lacking when it comes to sex and sexuality so what do you think about that
1: so sorry can you just rephrase that very briefly for me can you just reply like you're sorry you're asking me about consent aren't you thinking about the individualization of like feeling like there are negative experiences and you're the only person who's ever yes, gone through that yeah? exactly
0: and I was wondering like because I, I was kind of like wondering as well your perspective on it in the mm-hmm. sense the way people are socialized men are socialized around sex in a completely different way to women so from at least my own experience when I was socialized as a man you the only way that men talked about sex which is something why I think it was one of those early signs that I was never a man (laughs) because like I didn't I just always felt jarred by it but the only Mm. way that men talked about sex was the sex you know their conquests the sex that they've done to women
1: yeah (laughs) like you know
0: exactly it's just like oh like you know I shagged her brainless she couldn't walk all that type of (laughs) exaggerated nonsense but like is it is there more capacity with like women's spaces to be able to kind of share experiences or is it still kind of socialized in a way that you don't share what what's happened (laughs)
1: So I, I think that that's kind of a nuanced question. Mm, so yeah, I definitely grew up in a family where there was a quite like in my extended family, quite a big history of sexual trauma. So Mm-mm. I understood from a really, really, really young age that that was something that could happen to you. And there wasn't necessarily a way that you could kind of prevent that from happening. Like it was kind of right. a factor, I guess, that hung over our lives where we were just like, this could happen you know, this could happen and there will be no recourse for justice or no kind of healing or anything like that. So that was definitely quite a, a scary thing to bring into sex and definitely was not something that I a would have been able to vocalize to my peers. He wouldn't have even been able to really understand it myself. I knew that this was something that could happen. And then when it did happen to me, there was almost like a degree of like eventuality to it that I was like, yes, you know, this does happen. And now it has happened. This does happen. Now it has happened. And in terms of it's di- it, I think it's it's different. So when right. I was a teenager, we definitely spoke about sex, but it was more kind of like similar kind of Conquesty, scalp-collecting. Like, this is my pet theory, right? And I'm happy for people to come for me over this, okay? I think if you ask someone how was the sex and the only thing that they talk about was how big the person's penis was, that means that the sex is bad. I think that penis size has basically become, it's almost like an avatar. So if they weren't good at <clears throat> communication and if they didn't have very good touch and their chat wasn't great and so on and so forth, and you don't want to say Say, like, overall, oh, I actually didn't really like the sex that much. And there wasn't a huge communication, a way of of not saying that and still being like, you know, this is kind of like a social, a social like win on my part, is being like, oh yeah, but they had a huge dick. Like, you wouldn't <laughs> even believe the size of this. It was coming at my throat. You know, it was like, you know what I mean? So, like mm-hmm. that, that definitely was the kind of talk that we would have done as teenagers, I think. And like all of my friends become became kind of sexually and I actually had a virginity pact with my best friend. We were just like this is it. We're gonna have sex for the first time. We're just gonna do it now. And we did. We ended up having sex for the first time within like a month of each other. And we were so strategic about it. We were basically like we put out in like an ad in the paper being like, who wants to ride? <laughs> because <laughs> we <we've, laughs> we gotta get rid of this. Um but like it definitely I never thought about I never discussed pleasure. I never discussed mm-hmm. why we would have sex we never discussed communication we never discussed even like we would be like you know men are trash whatever but it would never be like men are trash because they shame our bodies and they don't listen to our desires and they make us feel like we're less than or that they hate us when they're engaging in sexual activity with us you know like that it was never a nuance and then when I got into college it was death definitely similar similar kind of situation except people started talking about masturbation that was the big change when I got into college it was suddenly like after like my second year it was suddenly okay to talk about masturbation and suddenly like everyone had a vibrator and like everyone was like, Woo! <laughs> like <laughs> it just, you know like that kind of thing um so that was a big 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 change but it wouldn't like there was uh curiously I would say until I got to New York the The conversation around pleasure in sex was largely absent and conversation around vulnerability and intimacy. And now I think so much Mm. around how we communicate and how communication is so key for any interpersonal relationship in our life and how that's so important for sex as well. But it's so is vulnerability to be open to being like, oh, maybe I didn't know that this was something I liked before, but now now I do know you know like not to come in with kind of preconceived notions and to have enough faith and I think this is the big you know Catherine Angel talks about this that the truly the and this is not just for cisgendered women this is for women across the board and this is also for you know people who are gender diverse or fall anywhere in the gender spectrum this vector of violence hangs behind every I think kind of sexual encounter that you have really the, just the knowledge mm-hmm. that it's, could go bad and that you're doing your best to make it go good but it could go bad and I think that that definitely is a difficult conversation to have particularly around vulnerability in sex but yeah definitely when I sorry but when I got to New York my friend my best one of my best friends there was a sex educator and that was like a whole different ball game because then it was suddenly like you know, she was really big into healing. Like I could talk about her, Nikki Davis-Hain Bloom. She's a sex educator. Go check her out. She's amazing. She was like, that was like such an insane pivotal moment for me because it was someone in my peer group being like, yes, (laughs) sex is pleasurable. And it's something you do for fun and something you can do without shame and something that like, if you want to partake in it, you should be partaking in it in a way that is equally as beneficial to you as to your partner or partners it's like oh my lord (laughs) I was like I'm not ready and I'll never be ready (laughs) you know and I did actually a sex podcast over there with two two three women and that was very like intimate like girls room talk like Mm -hmm. we would literally just talk about the sex that we were having and have had and stuff like that and that was like a really really full experience I think yeah, yeah no, if if that answers your question.
0: <laughs> no, no, definitely. And it is like such a nuanced thing that everyone is, I guess, even though we're in generally like genders are socialized a certain way, each individual is socialized in their own family extended kind mm-hmm. of friendship, peer group way. So, yeah, it is a very nuanced thing about how people discuss sex but yes it does seem as a general almost across the board thing pleasure is something that's just left out of those conversations yes. like when it comes to sex it is like it is that conquesty thing but what gets you off and pleasure and stuff like that mm. that's something that's almost left out which is such a shame because like I think because it's especially, the best part of sex <laughs> exactly 100% but particularly from When you're a person who like has a particular fetish, Mm -hmm. you can, because we can't talk about what gets us off and about Mm -hmm. pleasure when it comes to sex, you feel almost alone in Mm -hmm. the fetish that you have. Like for me personally, my own, like I'm a very kinky person in general, Mm -hmm. but my main, I think transformative kink, I guess, I don't know, um, but (laughs) uh, is water sports or if you really don't know what that is, it involves sex involving pee. Yeah, that's me. Okay. Um, but yeah, yes, thank you yeah. for
1: sharing. That. Yeah,
0: one hundred percent. But um, that was one of those things where it's like I kind of knew that. Hmm, this is something that it really gets me going, but trying to bring that up Mm -hmm. and not even like in a potential new sexual partner way, but just as a general thing, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like felt so alone. So thankfully, I kind of found an online community of other people that are into the same thing. So that kind of really helped. And I think when it comes to particularly fetishes or kinks, but also Mm -hmm. just kind of any type of sex or sexuality that, in quotation marks, deviates because there's no Mm -hmm. such thing as normal, but anything that deviates from what's considered the norm, When you find your clique or your community of people who are the same, Mm. it really helps you kind of accept that thing. So whether it's when you're bisexual and you find a bi community, a bi plus community, knowing that there's other people like you, you feel that it's easier to accept that part of yourself. When you're polyamorous and you find a polyamorous community, which there is one in Ireland, which... Was so great for me being able to mm. kind of come into that acceptance of myself to That's the point so that amazing. I'm now an admin of the Polyamory Ireland group. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talk no about a transformation. You're living yeah, your
1: life. You're the <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, <money. laughs> thank you. Um, it <laughs> took a while to get here, um I'm thanking the pandemic because I went into the pandemic as a cisgender man who just was not happy and. Did not want to wake up every day. Mid-pandemic. No. Hmm. Oh, okay. I'm no longer having to perform in social situations. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things that I was performing, they were just that. Performance. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like me. So yeah, I came out of the <laughs> pandemic as a completely uh, happier, non-binary person who loves wearing makeup and dressing femme again degender fashion there's no such yeah, thing as
1: de-gender it honey yes exactly 100% looks, <laughs> and you look incredible and not that because I think that this is such a thorny topic mm. like not that there is anyone who looks bad and also and this is a really important thing for he- for people to hear because I don't think it's it's kind of discussed enough particularly not by cis people and um, trans people non-binary people do not need our validation to be valid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if it's this person never says you're beautiful, if you feel beautiful, that is more valid <laughs> than any than anything that they could ever give you and I think that that's something that like you know because I think it's, it can get a bit lost on the internet sometimes when it's like you're fabulous, you're gorgeous, you blah 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 and it's like I can understand that there's so, there's so much goodness behind that but equally we have to think about power structures and I think it's very mm-hmm. uncomfortable for cis women to think about power structures because a lot of feminism is us being like we're fucked <laughs> like, we're at the bottom of the ladder And then when you bring in gender diversity or race or class or anything like that, that can really threaten people's kind of sense of self. But that's—I mean—that's a different part. I have. Yeah, that's a whole. That's (laughs) exactly.
0: That's like a whole other episode, specifically just about that alone. So
1: happy to hear about that you that you've had this kind of like really transformative experience. Is there? Is it just that you've had a chance to kind of be on your own and think about what is a performance and what is authentic? Or were there like specific triggers or, you know, things? And um, like more-
0: yeah, no, I think it was like for me, like I think it was definitely kind of just no longer having to be in social situations. And I real like I used to suffer from crippling social anxiety Mm. like crippling social anxiety like I would hate social situations even though like once I got into a situation Mm -hmm. I'd be kind of like this very sociable very chatty but I just hated the idea of approaching a social situation especially with people I didn't know and then as like I spent more time not with people (laughs) I realized Mm. it just kind of like awoke a lot of different things in me and I think it was also Seeing uh, particularly Jonathan Van Ness on Queer Eye Mm -hmm. Seeing especially as the show progressed And you could see Jonathan become more femme presenting Jonathan has his transformation But it was kind of seeing that Seeing it that representation of like huh, And also as well like I'm a bearded person And seeing that there was like someone else because like, yeah. I always like had been into like the idea of particularly skirts but also dresses and everything like that but I just that was for women I wasn't allowed to do that mm. and it was like once I kind of went on this process of kind of questioning and then I bought myself my first dress before yeah. I even realized what was, it I was
1: like on
0: oh it was it was a like 10 pound <laughs> dress from amazon like it was oh um, no. <laughs> it, no but it was still like lacy and leather so it was very okay. nice but um it was like I'm gonna try it so I'm not gonna go all out <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um yeah. it was before I even realized it was non-binary it was kind of just more that this is something that I want to try and it was like once I, put, I was just like huh this feels right this feels like mm-hmm. me and the kind of more I went into doing more femme mm-hmm. things I was like Realised that I never really felt like a man. So yeah, it was a lot of, like, I'm kind of very thankful that the pandemic happened in that sense. Because I don't think I would have got to where I am now if it had not. But yeah, I've had a very transformative year, 18 months, because I went from being in a monogamous relationship that was four years long
1: wow and then
0: it was like kind of at the end of that relationship neither of us were good at communicating but also I think we were both just riding the relationship escalator because that's what society tells you you're supposed to do and then it was kind of like I read the book and realized hmm yeah no this monogamy thing not for me and I raised that and I knew that once I mentioned it it was going to be this is the end of the relationship but it was a big change in the sense that I went from four years relationship where you talked about marriage to polyamorous person. A few months later, oh I'm non-binary. So it's like
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. But I think it's one of those things um when you deviate mm-hmm. from the norm in any way. So once I kind of was like I'm polyamorous, that's already outside of the norm mm-hmm. of society. So once I was already outside, it was kind of like huh, I'm already outside the main track. what else (laughs) what else is there and
1: um I was saying to my sisters the other day I was like when I realized that I was bisexual and Hmm. then no because there was a big gap between me realizing I was bisexual and then that's been a whole journey within itself but the pressure that I was kind of putting myself under really eased off because I was like oh there's actually not as as kind of A clear path for me anymore. And I don't have to be like, oh my God, I need to be in a relationship by 30, 30, 31 at the latest, because if I want to be having loads of babies, which (laughs) I did think I wanted, and Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I gotta be getting started at like 31, 32. So what does that mean for my career? And like, you know, if I'm having (laughs) kids, I probably want to own a house and so on and so forth. And I see a lot of my peers really put themselves under that like crippling, crippling pressure. And I'm now I'm just like realistically, depending on who I with you know pregnancy is not going to be as straightforward and and this is a thing as well in heterosexual couplings it's not straightforward often Mm -hmm. either often there are many twists and turns in the road so like that this idea that like so long as you've got a vulva and a penis the baby's there (laughs) as soon as the two are in the room the baby's there like that's not real that's not reality that's something you've been told um but like I feel far far more relaxed now about like my future and kind of I'm like I'm very open to lots of different pathways because I'm like you know what will happen will happen if I have children I'd love kids you know, if I didn't have children, I love my life right now. So I I know I would love it then. You know, I'm not like, oh, God, I would be struck into the earth and I would, you know, dissolve in a puddle of sadness and hopelessness. <laughs> you know, like, I'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, it is, I know exactly what you mean. Obviously, not so much about the gender stuff, but mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean about once you have placed yourself outside of the norm, then you're like, oh, actually, I can probably find if there's some more wiggle room here and I can probably do things my own way I will say that the one one of the my biggest takeaways from the pandemic is that I'm like oh the way that I was having sex before the pandemic is like definitely not how I want to be having sex after the pandemic and like I had really kind of built um such uh I guess I kind of like cult of personality but for myself around like you know I was the kind of person who just like you know had loads of sex or had loads of like one night stands or whatever and now I'm like oh that's not really in line really with who I am anymore and it feels really weird to think about going out into the world and like having to take things slow because that's so not my personality type but like I'm like listen honey if like wham bam thank you ma'am, was not working for you like let's try something else (laughs) let's spin this wheel of fortune like I'm ready
0: 100% and I think that's like such a good point about and you've touched on it on your other kind of your podcast itself with your episodes you know how you feel about the sex you're having is important oh my god and like I think for me like particularly it's kind of like I'm in this kind of very unique experience right now in the sense that the sex I was having was as a cisgender man Mm -hmm. and a lot of that sex I was having was very much kind of from the socialized way that men are Mm -hmm. told to have sex was that if you are not having an orgasm at the end of this then sex has not happened and it has been a failure Mm. and also if there has been no penetration then sex has not occurred Mm. so that's kind of the way that men are socialized that's kind of what i was socialized with and That kind of internalized messaging is what leads to a lot of erectile dysfunction for penis owners because of the fact that you have all this messaging of this is what sex is, this is what should happen. And it's so much to unpack. But the more once I kind of embrace myself as who I am, I kind of realize the way I thought about sex was changing and i've kind of like come out of it to a completely different perspective where it's now i'm just i'm almost like got a bee in my bonnet where i'm just like rearing to go so i can experience it as a non-binary <laughs> person that's like i need to i need to like compare the two i need to compare notes but <laughs> um but it's just um, and i actually was a guest on the make love not porn podcast which is really good oh as well you should definitely you should definitely listen to their podcast it's hosted by bex caputo who's one of the curators for make love not porn Mm -hmm. and the each episode is fantastic because again it's the fascinating topic of sex and hearing other people talk about their sex it's great but um I i was a guest on there and one of the things i talked about is that i feel the way we structure sex Particularly mm-hmm. kind of heterosexual sex But mm-hmm. sex in general And it almost links back to what you were talking about On your episode when you interviewed uh, Sophie In that like, you kind of talked about Almost the way that trauma or assault mm-hmm. Is kind of hierarchical It's the same with sex And I think the reason that's hierarchical for assault Is because sex is in this hierarchy In the sense that
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's only sex if penetration has occurred oh my God. Everything else is foreplay Spare me and I just can't stand that narrative because like regardless of the gender of the person I'm Mm -hmm. with sex has happened because it's the intention of us having sex with each other whether it's just oral pleasure whether it's just using hands penetration does not have to occur for sex to have happened and also an orgasm doesn't have to have Mm -hmm. have occurred for sex to have happened and I think because that's not the way society mainstream views sex because Mm. everything is in this hierarchy of penis and vagina penetration that's sex everything else is the build up to sex because we have that hierarchy that's why there's that hierarchy of assault in the sense that Mm. it's at the top is rape everything else is well no that's just less than it's not assault or it's as you said it's you know assault minor it's not Mm. like the full thing and I wonder like what your kind of your own kind of thoughts on that before we kind of like come towards wrapping up like your own kind of thoughts on do you think that is the reason that there is that hierarchy in place is because it's attached to sex itself
1: I mean, so I think that the hierarchy in place within sex, say, for example, is definitely linked in part to, I think, our obsession with numbers as well. If people weren't obsessed with how many sexual partners other people had had, there wouldn't necessarily be as stringent an enforcement of this hierarchy, because if you right, you know, you're saying that penis and vagina sex is the only sex that matters, right? that that then eliminates so many different kinds of sex and it's obviously intrinsically very heterosexual as well because you know my question is like are all gay men virgins are all are all (laughs) lesbians virgins like sorry like let's interrogate and I like I hate the The word virgin, like, Mm is a social construct, but B, like, I just hate it in general because there's so much weightedness to it. But, like, to to interrogate this further, when you say that you're a virgin, quote unquote, before you've had a penis inside you, does that mean literally, (laughs) like, people who never have heterosexual sex? Are they? are like all, is all of the sex discounted that they have had you know like it's yeah. it's so it there's there's levels of validity there as well that I think are very interesting to unpack I think actually personally how I view it is within sexual assault the hierarchy exists basically to tell people to stay in line and so even mm. within you know like let's say rape is at the top of the pyramid Right. But even within rape, it's then like, oh, was it someone you knew? Was it a stranger? Was it mm-hmm. was it la la la? You know, I can go on and on and on. And so it it's more about there's no one. There's no it's it kind of goes back into this perfect victim archetype. There is no one who is mm-hmm. ever able to say then, oh, actually, this was really bad and this really hurt me. And I want not just my interpersonal world to change but I want my intrapersonal world to change as well I want systems to change because this is a system that is perpetuating relentless violence against me and the people who are like me and so if you can it's basically gaslighting if you can constantly tell people oh it's not that bad honey you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get on then we never have to reckon with the violence that is within all of our societies. You know, so I, it, to a certain degree, personally, I think it's less attached to this hierarchy within sex and it's more attached to this and it's a similar i th- personally i think it's a similar impulse as to like when you hear about police brutality and then people are like but he was a drug dealer or like mm-hmm. he had yes. a knife? and it's like that's not that's really nothing to do with anything here is it you know like that's like exactly a completely, the relevant detail the relevant detail is we have a structure in place that condones violence against certain kinds of people that's truly the bigger question here you know like the details are all like they're just the symptoms not the cause so I think it's that like it stems from a similar kind of place a similar kind of dark place within our societal imagination
0: yes almost like as you said this dark almost need to justify something having occurred as in like if you can find if you can find any sliver of (laughs) uh, like an excuse or a justification then you can no longer feel bad about what happened or you don't have to question why it happened because you're like oh well clearly That's that's (laughs) And it's just like, no, 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 that's not how it works. But okay. It's like, (laughs) what about,
1: It's like, what about, you You know, when you're like, oh, things are bad for me, and people are like, what about? (laughs) You know, it's so funny because I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't know you cared about that stuff. Like, all right, let's talk about that. And then usually people are like, I don't I just want you to <laughs> shut the fuck up <laughs> like, <"What's>
0: exactly right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, a particular phrase that comes to mind of the type of person not all men that phrase <laughs> definitely comes to mind thinking of that type of not it's like men. yeah exactly it's just like oh it's the same like it's just like why are you here? Yeah, Nobody asks. <laughs> exactly. It's just oh, and it's just like, you know, the Venn diagram of people like that and people who love to play devil's advocate about another person's rights are I a circle. Can't. 100% right. a circle. <laughs> like
1: <It's> a circle. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Like, and it, it always happens to be like, from my own experience, it always happens mm. to be a white cis man that oh, it's takes so weird. that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I don't know why, but it's like, it's literally that whole thing of like playing devil's advocate and debating mm-hmm. trans rights or, oh you know, gosh. the rights of black people and stuff like that. And it's just like this, does not affect you so why are you debating it's yeah, just like down. oh exactly oh my god it's yeah it's a head record so I think my, like and on, that's when
1: we need identity politics
0: yes 100% <laughs> like that fucking
1: devil's advocate is not like our overlord <laughs> like,
0: Ex- exactly that's why we need identity politics so I think on that like kind of <laughs> note <laughs> to kind of like because I love listening to Brene Brown's podcast Unlocking Us such a beautiful oh, podcast so
1: beautiful oh it's I just
0: I almost like cry every episode because it's just so human and vulnerable. And it's like, I'm oh like, tell yes.
1: me, Brene. Don't tell <laughs> exactly. But
0: please tell me everything. Please just make sure tell me it's gonna be okay. But I love how Brene gonna ends every mm-hmm. episode with her like rapid fire 10 questions. Okay, so I'm not gonna do, do, do that, it. but I want to do my own kind of version of it that I want to start incorporating into my podcast. The first one, when you hear and you probably might have a more like actual connection to it but when you hear the word philosophy what comes to mind and then the last two is currently what is something that is giving you joy Mm -hmm. and the third one is what's something that you are hopeful for in the not hopefully not too distant future
1: Okay. Okay. Beautiful. All right. I've got some answers. So the first one, what does philosophy, What What comes to mind when I think of philosophy? Always radical intelligence. I always think of people who are radically intelligent and who are like deep thinkers in a way I find very satisfying and who are willing to grapple with very difficult and nuanced subjects and aren't afraid of that challenge. That's what I think of when I think of philosophy
0: that's beautiful I love that answer that is yeah that's just like I'm gonna say yep yeah, okay yeah I'm 100% just nodding away here yes I love that answer that's beautiful thank you
1: um something that is giving me joy my favorite OG love them so much um who actually also just came out as non-binary or recently enough um Evian Whitney they did they're like updating loads of their basically they've just done this mega sale um for loads of their kind of like online offerings so I got their gone- to sensual selfies and one of the things that they say is like basically take a selfie every time you masturbate take a selfie before and after to try and like like as a nice like Documentation of it, mm. so I've been doing that, and it's just like a really nice thing to do because I think we could talk about this all day. But I, you know, i we're trying to wrap this up. I gotta make dinner, <laughs> but um, like I think that there's so much shame around masturbation. There's so much stigma around it that it's really important to do like intentional work about being like this is actually just like a beautiful, joyous thing that I can do with myself. And I always think of it as like even if you had a history of bad sex masturbation and solo sex shows you that you can have a a good sexual relationship with yourself you know you can meet your own needs and then work outwards you know start with yourself Mm -hmm. work outwards and then the final thing sorry remind me of the final question again Uh,
0: just the final one uh, something that you're hopeful for or giving Um, you hope at the moment
1: (laughs) something that's giving me hope at the moment what an amazing community there is in Ireland around kind of like sex and gender and feminism Mm -hmm. I think like it's really on the up and it's giving me so much hope and so much like love and hilarity in my life recently
0: that's a brilliant answer and I couldn't agree more like people like you and then like Caroline West with the Glow West podcast and there's just so many like a lot of it seems to be through the podcast world Mm. but there is so many there is this growing community of people just openly talking about sex and being vulnerable mm-hmm. and just those important topics that we need to have particularly awesome. here in Ireland so yeah I'm very hopeful for that as well and yeah I just want to say thank you so much for coming into my show Routine and before we let you go if you want to just kind of say where people can find your podcast and any kind Absolutely. of social media where people can find you if you want to be found <laughs>
1: oh 100% so my podcast is Tend Your Garden and that's on any medium that you get your podcast on it's kind of a similar kind of vein I guess to this conversation Mm -hmm. too and I get different guests on and then so that's Tendergarden and then that's the same on Instagram but it's tendergarden.podcast and then if you want to find me it's roisin r-o-i-s-i-n underscore n-i-c underscore g-h and i love to hear like i love to hear from people it's like one of my favorite things about the podcast like how many connections it's forged so if you have liked this conversation like send me a message send me an email i'd love to hear from
0: you perfect well thank you so much for coming on hello listener thank you for coming on this journey with me If you would like to be there for the next stop on this adventure, then please like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow my Instagram, which is mixbellmarrigan. That's M-X-B-E-L-M-O-R-R-I-G-A-N. And tell your friends that you too want to help make the world a better place. One conversation at a time.